podcast. Thank you for listening to the Words and Nerds podcast. The podcast has had over 1 million plays and that's all thanks to you. For the holidays, I bring you the best of series for 2023, the most listened to and loved episodes. If you enjoy the podcast, you can review it on iTunes or wherever you listen to your podcasts or drop me a line on social media. This episode is brought to you by Gin & Co, author website design specialists. If you want a beautiful and functional website to promote your books and brand, reach out to Jin today. His work includes tailored, expertly designed, professional author websites. I finally have a website I'm proud to share. And we've got a special offer for Words and Nerds listeners. Reach out today and get a free domain name and website hosting for the first year. You can get their website essentials package, includes domain name, website hosting, backup and security, free for the first year with any website purchase. This is valued at $330 a year. Choose a website designed to bring your author brand to life. You can find more details about this special offer at ginand.co forward slash words and nerds. Welcome back to Burnt Ends, Briskets and Barbecues. My name is Ben Hobson and this is the podcast where I interview your favourite authors about their favourite books and I'm here with the remarkable, brilliant Mark Smith who I'm very glad to have on my podcast and we're going to be here talking about one of his favourite novels uh, which is Robbie Arnott's Limber Lost. So Mark, first of all, how are you? You've, you've just We've just been talking about some training you've been getting into. Yeah, I'm well, thanks, Ben, and thanks for having me on. It's always a privilege to talk to you um, and for that lovely introduction. Uh, yeah, look, we, I, I'm in training at the moment. Uh, next month, uh, my wife and I are heading off to Europe to do a walk. Uh, we're doing a called the Coast to Coast Walk from one side of the UK to the other, 300 k's. And um, so I've just been trying to get k's into the legs and um it's we haven't done that sort of distance before we've just recently come back from doing the three capes walk down in tassie which was just i've been wanting to do that with my son oh do it yeah honestly it is one of the most i've I've been bushwalking for i don't know 40 odd years that that is a highlight and that that includes yeah that includes a lot of walking overseas in nepal and but the three capes is a highlight absolutely stunning I'll have to um I'll have to pick your brain on that because I've been yeah. wanting to do something significant for when he enters high school to sort of, you know, show him that he can persevere and do big challenges and be with him and do that sort yeah. of thing. Um yeah. he's, he, so he'll be like eleven or twelve. Do you think a person that age will be capable of it? Um yeah, I think so for sure. Um it's the the maximum is about uh you do about twenty two Ks one day. But okay. because it's because the capes are sort of, you, you drop your pack. You work, walk with that pack on your back for a lot of the time, but you drop your pack for most of the the sort of longer sections at the at the top of the track. You head out to the cape and you come back. Okay. So you come back to your pack and then you head on again. And um, but visually, oh my god, just just stunning, absolutely okay. stunning. You got yeah. me sides. I got to I got to plan it. I got to do it. I got to do it. Yeah. Um. 
let's talk about this novel though, because uh, I'm embarrassed to say I had never read a Robbie Arnott book. I know I'm very late to this party. Um, this being his third novel, uh, but and I think this is. Can I can I be honest with you, Mark? I don't. Not many people choose Australian authors. Like this is the first time I'm sort of speaking thinking that maybe Robbie might even end up listening to this. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. But my gosh, you know, and not to, not to, um, that's not to say I won't be honest about the book, but man, it's, it's, you've chosen such a beautiful novel, but uh, yeah. Can you tell us the story? Why did you choose this novel? How did you first encounter his writing? Yeah. Do you know him personally? Et cetera. <laughs> um, a number of questions there. Yeah, Firstly, <laughs> yeah, I, I've read, uh, I loved his first book, Flames. I, I adored the Rain Heron and they got really big, you know, they yeah. got really big write-ups and I, I thought that's a big reputation to have to deal with. And mm. um, so in this third book, oh, my God, you know, it, it just knocked me sideways. Um, and it, there's so many reasons. That, Can I stop you just really quickly? How yeah. is it? Because I haven't read his first two. How is it different? Yeah. Like you sort of, it sounds like you're saying it's a bit of a, a different vibe. Yeah, it's it's quite a different vibe. It's still very much that, and we'll talk about, I'll talk about this, the Tasmanian novel. Mm. Um, but uh, there's, the, the first two have had very strong elements of magical realism or um, fabulism in them. Um, and it's that that kind of carries the, the narrative as well in them. This okay. is much more... This is much more centred, you know, in its its reality, um, its realism, and it's just uh, it's just so beautifully constructed. But mm-hmm. um, but the, when I when I before I read it, I someone told me what the story was about. And I thought, oh my god, Robbie Arnott has looked into my family history, and he has found this, and this is he's sort of extracted it from my oh wow from my family because. Um, uh, my dad uh, was 12 years old when the Second World War broke out mm. and he had uh, an older brother, Bill, who was 10 years older than him. And Bill enlisted and went to war and never came back. Um, and um, dad uh, lived in, he didn't live in an orchard, but uh, he lived uh, in an area of Victoria called uh, in Mount Disappointment, which is, his parents worked for the Board of Works, which was all of the, the water supply for Melbourne. But he had this magnificent childhood in the bush, hunting and fishing. And, and he, during the Second World War, he hunted and shot, trapped and shot rabbits to sell the pelts for the slouch hats. He would take them to Melbourne with his dad what the and heck? sell the pelts. This is that's, the book. That's true. This is true. Yeah. That's incredible. Um, so, uh, so that was, and that was very much embedded in our family's history, you know, because Dad would tell these how many of the tales were real and how many were fictional. We, we don't know, <laughs> but it was very much, and it was like it was like Robbie had been there, you know. It's uh, amazing. And um, and I thought that, uh, and I thought he portrayed that that longing, you know, like um, the central character in Limberlost, Ned has has the older brother. Um, is it Bill as well? Yeah, Bill. Bill and there's another brother. There's two brothers. And Toby. Yeah. Toby. Yeah. Yeah. So Bill was the older. Bill was my dad's older brother. That was his name. Oh, my gosh. Uh, and, um, and Bill, my, my dad's Bill, uh, was a Spitfire pilot. He got shot down 
um, and disappeared. Um, so 1942, so Dad had to live with that. He was the only other male, or the only mm. other uh, male sibling, had three other sisters uh, in between. And and then this is kind of going off track a little bit, but right. in, in 2012 uh, when Bill had been missing for 69 years, uh, his body and plane or the, his plane and the remains of his body were found dug up in a French field. What? Uh, and um, and my by that stage, my dad was the only sibling still alive, being the youngest. And we all went, to, we went with dad to France wow. um, to internment ceremony of, you know, obviously there wasn't much left of him, but they found, you know, some significant remains in the plane. Um, and had this reinternment ceremony in this little village called Casal in northern France. And it was one of the most moving, incredible yeah. moments of my life to be able to be there with Dad when that happened. And um, yeah. Dad actually got the opportunity to, to uh, you know, to give the eulogy for his brother 69 years later. That's, that's remarkable. I can't even. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and, he, and um, one of the things that Dad passed away in 2017, but one of the things that he handed on was Bill's letters to his mum that, he would send back. So that whole, you know, the way in which Robbie talks about, you know, just the lack of information that was coming, they were, especially for the older sister, um, for Maggie and for the father longing to find out because obviously he's been, he's been captured in Singapore or the fall of Singapore they talk about. Uh, and, um, and that, again, that mirrors like my my grandmother would, I don't know whether you know, knew this, but during the Second World War they would, the newspapers would publish photographs of prisoners of war and there would be hundreds of them all in this one photo and you can imagine the, you know, the quality of the photo. But mm. my grandmother would sit there all day looking for her son, trying to wow. find him and she'd be certain that she'd found him, you know, that that he'd survived. Oh, that's heartbreaking. So, yeah, and that that and when that was mirrored in Limberlost, mm. that that thing of we we you know other people are getting letters. Why aren't we getting letters? What's happened? You know, and and where is our son? Uh, I thought that was that was beautifully portrayed. So that was that was reason number one for, for yeah, coming geez, to such a personal connection. Yeah, yeah. Um, and other than that, I, I've I've met Robbie only very briefly, mm. and um, uh, when we were both down in uh, down in Tassie for an awards ceremony way back. Yeah, um, when Flames was just coming out, and he also contributed a story to um, to the Minds Went Walking anthology, oh, that, awesome. um, the Paul Kelly one. So I haven't read that one of the story. First, yeah, one of the first writers that we wanted to get into that anthology, and he wrote a, a great little story. So, um, so he's one of those, you know, part of the network that you kind of know and you'd love to sit down and, and chat to. Yeah, um, yeah. But, um, but I, yeah, as, as writers, like, wouldn't it be great if we could just have a workplace and go and hang out at lunch break and sit around the table? Yes, please. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's kind of like, isn't that kind of the way the green room works at, at yes. festivals? You no, know, when, you, when you get that opportunity, just come and sit with someone. And that's why, you know, people say, oh, I love, love the festivals for the appearances and the panels and stuff. I love it for just the opportunity you get to network with other yes. writers. Sure, sure. Yeah, and catch up with people. Like, it's just so rare and so isolating, this industry. Um, yeah. 
I thought something else that he did really well um, in the book too, when you're talking about this sense of not knowing was also just how people just had to sort of get on and just had to just, it was almost like they found other ways of maybe inventing meaning or purpose. And, you know, we've just got, well, you know, they were also surviving and working jobs and things like that. Mm. But um, Ned's particular longing for this boat, I think is just so special. And it's such a simple, it's such a simple disarming kind of goal. Yeah, so moving when he finds this this boat, um, yeah. which which is made of a, a type of timber, Huon yeah. pine, um, yeah. that no one knew um, that it was made. It's sort of like he found something special in his life, and it's I don't know. Do you think that that a lot of that is coming from the family's, or maybe even Ned's uh, inability to to invest into? Um, just waiting, just waiting to hear about his brothers. I mean, it's yeah. sort of a distraction in a way. Yeah, I do. The, the boat is a really interesting motif that that's used by by Robbie because it kind of it kind of symbolizes for Ned um, mm. a little freedom, escape, adventure, and that must have and and kind of and away from what though? Well, away from that waiting that longing and that brooding of his father mm. the silence of his sister all of those things that are that are central to the to those characters and but this was this was something that that ned could have of his own you know and yeah special and to him like, yeah. yeah and this this love affair and he even he even struggles to share it with his with his mates you know um uh, is it Jack Bird? Yeah, Jack Bird. Um, but I also thought uh, I'm really interested in what you think about this, that when he did actually get the boat out onto the water, so much of it uh, was taking his sister out, was yes. taking Maggie out yeah. on the boat. And I, and I, th- I, think I, I think I know why, but what, what, what are your thoughts on that? That's interesting. I hadn't actually thought of that question particularly. I don't know. It's just... He, I don't know whether he's trying to impress people. I don't think he's trying to impress people. I think there's something deeper going on. Like on the surface, you could say he's just trying to say, well, look, I'm special too. I've got something to offer. And I think he even talks about that a little bit in how he thinks about his brothers, that he wants to be there for his sister the way that they were special to her. But I don't know. I think there's something else going on there where he's sort of, what, what, what are your thoughts? You're probably much more articulate than I am. Uh- no, I really just thought about this at the time, but um, but I think I think he was desperate for some sort of a- acknowledgement, mm. some sort of affirmation for this is something that I can do that's specific to me. Yeah, um, and he, he he gains that with the boat, and he gets out on the boat. But I also think there's a I, I struggle with that. Oh, why is Matt? What's the thing with Maggie? Why is the older sister? And why why was that happening? And I could only think that. She's the one who carries the story that her mother had told her about being a sailor. Mm-hmm. So Ned's mother and Maggie's mother had been a sailor in the Lakes District um, in England, where she'd come from. She'd been, you know, been out on the water. And I guess it was the way of relaying that story mm-hmm. uh, and bringing that into the narrative because Ned never knew his mum. Yeah. Maggie is the only one there on the farm apart from the 
the father, of course, that has a memory of Ned's mum. Yeah. Um, and and Maggie is almost she's almost mute, you know. She um she's a silent sort of person and, and we understand <laughs> why towards yeah. the end. We understand what she's been waiting for as well. Mm. Uh, but yeah, I, I just thought it was the whole the whole boat thing and, and the boat then becomes central to one of the most tragic things that happens as well, which we won't give away, but um but yeah, I just thought it was emblematic of that. Uh, this was his means of escape in some yeah. way, and also, and we, look, we've got to talk about, don't we? We've got to talk about just the 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 nature writing in this yes. book. I've got that and, mentioned down here. I mean, it's remarkable. Um, I, I just you read these books. And it, it in equal measures moves you but pisses you off at the same time. Like I'm I'm moved as a reader, but as a as a person, as a writer, it pisses me off because I'm like, how does he do it? And I don't know how to unpick it. Like it's so elegant yeah. and profound and so, almost simple, simplistic, yeah. but it's so beautiful. Yeah. Um I one hundred percent agree. And I and I feel that myself as a writer while I'm reading it. Um, and it is, uh, I'm trying to figure out how he's doing this to me. Um, yeah. And I, I understand. And the only way I can explain it is that it goes back to, you're right in the simplicity of the sentence structure, but so many of those sentences are just beautiful. Yes. It's beautiful. It's beautiful writing at the sentence level. And I think that the the magic trick that, that Robbie Arnott pulls off here is that I think... He, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a very critical, as a writer, I'm a very critical reader. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I, you know, I'm waiting for the, I'm waiting for the plot to fall over. I'm waiting for the, <laughs> I'm waiting to see the plot holes. I'm, like a false note here the, or there, yeah. Yeah. Um, and none of that, none of that happens here with, with, uh, with Limberlost. But, um, but what he does is, I, I think there are a lot of writers, I think there are a lot of writers who can write beautiful sentences. I just don't think there are a lot of writers, particularly in Australia at the moment, that can write beautiful sentences and still carry the story and till, still tell you a terrific story, you yeah. know. Um, and I think, mm. uh, I, think uh, I think a lot of, not a lot, but some writing in Australia is celebrated for those beautiful sentences, mm. but, but mm. they're just not telling the story. I, I want to, you know, and maybe that's, that's just me as a writer and me as a reader saying, you know, story is that that narrative drive is really important to me. Yeah. Um, and, and unless that narrative, yeah, unless I'm seeing it developing, I'm losing interest, no matter how beautiful sentences might be. All right. Well, um, this is a beautiful transition into a new segment I do on my show, which is called Bad Reads. <laughs> I need a theme song or something. Dun, 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 yeah. Bad Reads. Yeah. So yeah. Bad Reads is where I go, because I don't know how you go, but whenever I go on Goodreads, I'll enjoy, I enjoy loving a book and then reading negative reviews of that book because it just makes right. me understand that there's all sorts of people who come to books in all different sorts of ways. Yeah. But I think it's really interesting because it's not your work. So, Robbie, if you're listening, I'm very sorry about this. <laughs> I can read a negative review of Goodreads, but it's actually on what you were just talking about. So this is what it says. Sure, it's good writing, but so descriptive and plotless, 
I like how descriptive is a negative in this review. It's really yeah. funny. Yeah. So descriptive and plotless, it was like swimming against a current. A lot of effort for little reward, two stars. Right. So I guess my question for you, and I actually thought of this myself, it's not a conventional story. You were just talking about how it's a story, right? It's not conventional. It's almost like a character study. There's no real antagonist. I would say that Ned is almost his own. I don't even think his father's against him. I think it's in his head a little bit. So I'm wondering for you, like, to me, I was, I read this in a day. Like, Mm. I loved it. I was pulled through it. I thought it was a beautiful story. But I think there's just, for people who read it, some people say, well, there's no plot. And I'm just wondering what your thoughts were on that. The idea of plot versus character, I guess. Yeah. Um, I, I think that there are different ways in which writers carry plot. Mm. And this, like, it, um, I, I, came to, I came to this, I came back to, I very rarely read a book twice, but I, I went back to read this a second time because I knew we were going to have this chat. Mm. And, and again, I flew through it. Um, and that yeah. that that says a lot for me. Um, I think it what it does for me as a reader is it, it ticks all the boxes that I want in a mm-hmm. in a novel. And I under, I don't I see where that you know whoever whoever the punter is on Goodreads and that, that could be a twelve year old kid you know somewhere just taking the piss, but because you never know. But um, but and we've I've, we've all got those reviews, I'm sure. You know, yeah, the, every, every book uh, does. Yeah, and I've just come from uh, reading um, Ashley Clage and Blunt's uh, Dark Mode, oh, which you know, if you, you're talking about a plot, wang, 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 you know, yeah, yeah, you yeah. fly through that book because it's it's got good characters, but the plot, you know, it's a it's a, it's your it's your page turner. Yeah, um, and then to come back for a second reading of Limberlost after that, I actually enjoyed the way the narrative meandered a little bit yes and yeah yeah, yeah. It's time um, and I think it's one of the one of the things that Robbie does and he does it in his other novels as well and that is um, he gives the reader time to feel yeah time to, to consider to breathe mm. you know um, and and I think he like I'm reading some parts and I, I just have to read that paragraph again. Because, because of the beautiful language that he yeah. has used, the way that he has expressed it, particularly in his description of nature, because um, I'm a sucker for, for really good nature writing. Mm. And I think that I, I didn't, I thought there was significant enough narrative drive yeah. to, keep me, to keep me pushing through. I think that probably your average punter might be a little bit distracted by the switching in time. I um, wanted to talk to you about that. There were, yeah. there were a couple of people mentioned that. Uh, again, yeah. I found, but that's like, to me, and this is, you know, again, with this, I'm not arguing with people. Everyone can have their own opinions, absolutely warranted and fine. But to me, the switching in the, like the little glimpses you see of him as like a, a logger at one stage, and then he's mm. he's got a relationship with his, with his wife and he marries her and he's got two um, or three young girls and then they're mm. older and they're arguing these little glimpses into his future just made the book feel very reflective and it made the whole thing feel like it's not hurried, you know, Mm -hmm. it's very patient. Mm -hmm. And I think that, yeah, there's a lot of books that we read nowadays and a lot of media we consume that is just that 
very quick thing, but it was so pleasant to, to spend some time thinking rather than, yeah. Yeah. Do you, do you think that there's a, a distinction sometimes? I'm not saying this is like a plotless, like I do feel like it does pull yeah. you through. Absolutely. But there's a difference between like an emotional depth and then like entertainment. And sometimes those two things don't necessarily line up sometimes, I think. Yeah, I think I think if you can find, obviously, if you can find the balance between those with, with enough kind of entertainment to keep yeah. the reader turning the page. Um, but the other thing that I'd say in relation to that is this book is only 226 pages long. Now, I don't know what that translates to. I think maybe 50, 45,000 words. Um, and what is achieved in those 45,000 words <laughs> the whole um, is, yeah, is all of that, that that I would struggle to write in double that yes. amount of time. Yeah, so um, with, that, with that amount of emotional weight and that, that amount of character development and, uh, you know, everything that's going on for young Ned, um, I, I just felt as though I was, I was in his world. Mm. And... And yeah, that, sure. that, 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 how you do that as a writer? Oh, God, you know, if, if I had that. <laughs> yeah. When I was saying earlier that I was, it pissed me off. It's just jealousy. That's all it is. Mm. It's absolute jealousy. Well, me, yeah, me too. There's um, a magic in there that. Yeah. It is. It's so, and it's so, it feels so precise as well. Like there's not a wasted moment. Like every moment has this weight of significance. And I, I really love those jumps. Because again, it makes you, it makes you feel like Ned is considering his life, you know, and I really appreciate that because when I read a book like that, it makes me take some time to consider my own life. And again, we're so busy in our modern day. Like I find those moments quite rare. And then to have a book sort of open that for me, it's quite, it's quite magical. Like I don't know how many spaces there are in life nowadays where you have that. Like I had to go camping. To, to force myself off the phone so I could yeah. read the book, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah, I also think that, you know, those um, those sort of forward narratives where we see Ned as an older, a slightly older, and then, you know, where he's working on sheep stations on the mainland, then, as you said, as he's, when he's married, et cetera, um, and what happens with his wife and with his family. Mm. Um, I, I think... That character of Ned is still entirely consistent with the twelve-year-old Ned that we 100%. see yeah. in the main part back at the orchard at, at Limberlost, um, and even the thought patterns are very similar, albeit they're from an old man, you know. Yes. yes. Um, but yes. there's still that that kind of uh, tongue-tied um, kind of uncertainty yes. about how to express his emotions and how to come to terms with what's going on around him and how he expresses that to other people. Um, he, it was the same with the loggers when he was out, you know, working with the loggers and he was somehow separate to them um, and, and observing them and observing their violence and their language and, but he was not a part of them. He also, and, it's sort of how he feels about everything in his life. He yeah. feels different, set apart. Yeah. Somehow. It's a recurring yeah. theme. Yeah. Yeah. Um, um, to, yeah, go on. You have something else to add? Go on. Well, I, something else I also love to do is I love to bring out quotes from the authors about this business of writing and just to get you to reflect on it. So I found one that Robbie said this, 
there are two main impediments to writing and they are distractions and the need to make money through non-writing work. Uh, do you agree with that? Is that the two main impediments to writing? Uh, I, I think is is not far wrong, and <laughs> uh, we've you know we constantly battle, um, and, and a lot of us have to have day jobs in order to support the the writing that we do. Yes, um, I think most and that and those and and we have families and we have life and we have all of those things that we, we you know. When we're talking about distractions, we're not, I assume he's not just talking about phones and devices. He's talking about, I, I would think, you know, everything everything that goes on in life around you, you know, yeah. which, which you can draw on for inspiration to write as well, but it can also take time, you mm-hmm. know. It takes time away from the writing task. Mm-hmm. Um, and for my own process, I, I find that I write, in, I write in slabs. So I'll go into writing mode and I'll write in writing mode for a month or two months, and that means yeah. getting up every you know doing that doing the two three hours um and then i'll lie fallow i'm lying fallow at the moment you know and um and there's a certain amount of there's a certain amount of writer's guilt that goes with that you know yes 100 oh, what if i can't do it anymore what if i, what if I forget how to write you know buried um, into but, brain here, buddy. Yeah. Uh, yeah and but it's whatever works for you as a writer so yeah and and earning a living you know, um, we're all trying to do that. If we could just do it out of writing, then awesome. But not very many people that I know can. No, no. And I, I actually find sometimes that a lot of my writing gets done while I'm doing other things. Um, I'll have an idea for something or something will spark something else. But, yeah, it's it's the, it's the making time that can be quite difficult. Mm. Um, yeah, okay. Um, is there anything else you'd like to add? Like I'm, 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 I love this book. And uh, I really hope that I get to meet Robbie one day and express that to him. Um, but it's just yeah. what an incredible yeah. there's, a, there's a question. There's a question that I want to ask you. Go ahead. Um, the whale. Okay, yeah. the whale that is supposedly encountered on the boat. Oh, so was, the whale, yeah. was the whale real? Ooh. Did the whale happen? Did it happen at all? I think so. I didn't. I came away thinking it happened. Yeah, I, I came away thinking that that was a. Do you think it wasn't real? Well, I the way we just referred to, like it is. It's another one of those one of those sort of focal points that he comes back to that night on the boat and the and I'm not sure the whether the rearing up of the whale is is literal, yeah, or whether that is symbolic or metaphorical in some way. Um, of what was happening with between them, between the brothers and between the father and the. Um, when I first read the book, I thought, you yeah, know, the, the whale incident definitely happened. The whale must have reared up out of the water and it had a harpoon stuck in its head and it was crazy. Um, and then um, I, when when I went back and reread the book and the way in which it's referred to, that incident was referred to mm. again and again, um, and even. The symbolism of what, who gave him the coat, and why they gave him that coat, who it was. Mm. Um, I thought that um, I, I started to question whether it actually happened or not, or whether that was in his imagination. It was the waiting that was the thing. The waiting was what was killing him. That's so interesting. That's such yeah. an interesting insight. That's so clever. If that's the reason that that's there too, like I just yeah. thought it was like a little 
cute little relationship moment but yeah to think of the significance of it in a in a deeper way yeah. i thought it was yeah i guess in looking back on it whether or not it's actually reared up maybe because then later on the father sort of describes it as being um just a pot of whales and it's it's much calmer yeah. in that reflection yeah. so whether or not yeah. that's the thing that's happened in his mind and whether it's imagined or not yeah i don't have an answer for it but i and i also love the fact that uh that i question that that that's yeah, yeah. That that's what he's done to me you bastard yeah. you know like um <laughs> And it's um, it's not giving that whole resolution. I mean, a, I think that I think the ending of this book is beautiful. You know, it it takes a bit to make. Well, actually, it doesn't take that much to make me cry. I cry at the work cover ads, but but you know the um, but I had tears in my eyes reading that. You know that that final section of the book. Yeah. Uh, and and there's been tragedy before that in the book as well. But that was it's just really significant. Maybe that was because that. It tied in with my own family history as well that had that yeah. significance. Yeah, maybe. I mean, it is. I mean, I, I can't. Obviously, I don't. I don't know that, but it is a beautiful, beautiful book. Yeah. Um, can I just finish on? Can I just finish on one quote that? Yeah. I went. I went looking for. Went looking for reviews as well. The same as you, but mm-hmm. I went to more reputable sources. <laughs> <laughs> I did read good reviews um, as well. And, um, um, I think it's Imogen um, Dewey in The Guardian, and she just like this. I hadn't even thought about this, Um, and it's about the character of Ned. And she says, Ned's failures and errors aren't presented as moments of transformation or growth. They're allowed simply to stand as part of the whole. You know the way in which we, as writers, we try to use those, those, Mm -hmm. you know, failures or errors or um, things we haven't done as well as 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 being transformational, as being I learnt from that, I understood, and now I will do things differently. But in Ned's case, that it, she's right, it doesn't happen. He, mm. They're just allowed to stand as part of that whole, you know, world that he was in and the person that he was. That's, uh, interesting. That, That's really that, interesting because you know, that, that is sort of like a schlocky, you can, that does come sometimes end up being this schlocky kind of character arc I always think of the Truman Show, which I actually love that movie. But yeah. remember where he has a fear of the water because yeah. father drowned, and then he has to go over the bridge, and then oh look, he can conquer his fear now. Yeah, um, yeah. yeah. It can get a little schlocky, and you're right. He yeah. just—it's sort of—it's actually kind of beautiful. It's like he's—he's he's okay, or maybe it's like Robbie's okay, just showing us this person and it's like it's not yeah. passing like he doesn't need to fix things about yes. himself. that's really yeah. kind of yeah. sweet yeah. that's a and really i think it's part. it also it's also mirrored then in those you know in those forward narratives as well mm. um it's consistent with that's why the character is so consistent yeah uh, I, I think that's you know i could i could deconstruct this novel all day because i think it's beautiful i think it's so well done yes it um, is and it's it's not a it's for me it's not a perfect novel but bloody hell it's close as a writer uh you know bloody close and to achieve what he does in in 220 pages it's, it's just a significant achievement yeah he's um it's a talent it's a, he's a real oh. talent that australia has australia has a lot of really amazing authors yeah. um, i think there's something in the air down in tasmania too like they they produce yeah, they really you know, do 
Uh, you know, you got Robbie Arnott and Richard Flanagan and Amanda Laurie and Ryan Wells, all of those, Heather all Robert. of those writers. Yeah, um, magnificent writers. They yes, we should move there. You you come from <laughs> yeah. I'm, well, yeah. I mean, it's one of the other reasons that I love this book so much is I, I've got this love affair with Tassie. I've been there. I was trying to think when we're preparing for this. I reckon at least thirty odd times been down to Tassie. So um, a little writing you... shack down there that my sister owns at Falmouth on the east coast. And, really, I need. Um, can I? I want to be. I want to be honest. I've said this on Twitter actually. For my thirtieth birthday, I was either going to spend money on getting myself a laptop, or finally going to Tasmania, which was a big dream of mine. So I, I went yeah. when I was very young for two days yeah. in the band, and I went yeah. in the middle of winter. And I didn't realize that Hobart was cold and I had to go to a <laughs> shop and I stayed on some punk band's floor. And then the next day we flew out. Didn't see much, but I loved it. Yeah. And then for my 30th, um, it was either go to Tasmania or get the laptop. And I chose to get a laptop, which I then right. subsequently wrote all my books on. Yeah, well, yeah. But I have been dreaming of going to Tasmania. I watch Tasmania documentaries. I yeah. want to go down into that cold, cold place and sit next to a fire and look at the. I'm just. Yeah. I'm, I, and it's I not. A, it's not I'm all. So it's not all a cold, cold place either. I've been there quite a lot in summer, and that that east coast. Miss, is, mate, I'm from Victoria, and I live in Queensland. <laughs> I want that cold relief of like yeah. I'm, I'm swimming in the fresh air. Yeah. Oh, uh, so you can, long. you can take the boy out of Yarram. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm. Uh, I just. I. I love. I really want to go and spend some time in Tassie. But I'm turning forty next year, so uh, my, hopefully my goal is to to spend some time there for my fortieth. I've got a laptop. Great plan. <laughs> great plan. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, all right. Thanks, Mark. I just, yeah, I'm so glad that you chose this book. Um, and I'll have to go back and read his other, other books, I think, because, mm. um, very profound, um, and yeah. beautiful work. So, um, uh, yeah. So, um, uh, Limber Lost by Robbie Arnott, go pick it up and have a read of it. It's, it, I read it in a day and it's beautiful and I've, I've heard it might be, there's some rumblings about it being up for the Miles Franklin, um, this year, yeah, it's it was just this week uh, named on the shortlist for the Age Book of the Year as well. Right, yeah, yeah. there you go. So it's it's set yeah. to to take the world by storm. But anyway, Mark, thank you so much. You're a lovely man, and good luck with your trek. If I don't speak to you before, yeah, thanks very much. Yeah, great. Thanks so much for having me on. Of course, honestly, anytime. <laughs> All right, thanks. <laughs>